Happy New Year, Philo community. This is the first Philo podcast of the new year. And we've just passed our two-year anniversary since our very first podcast release. Ridiculous. Thanks for joining us along the way. It's been great. And if this is your first time listening, we've got a lot of episodes you can listen in on. But welcome to this one. If you didn't know, our goal is really to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, we're trying to do the Philo Conference all the time, every three weeks. All right, it's 2020, people. What the heck? 2020? That always seemed like the date far in the future where we would reach all our goals. You know, 2020, is this going to happen? You know, whatever. All the dreams will become reality then. Well, I'm not sure we've totally arrived, but I'm excited about the potential for this year. 2020 sounds cool. And uh, now that January has kind of hit, this is when we really fire up the hyperdrive on planning for Philo 2020 Chicago, which is on May 19th and 20th. We start dialing in the breakout classes, figuring out the schedule a little more, finalizing main sessions, figuring out signage, you know, all the things you need to do a great event on a large scale. Anyway, we are digging into a lot of those. So our website's changing all the time. So if you have questions, that's a great place to go, philo.org. And then you can go to the events page there. We've got about six weeks left before our next price increase, February 18th to be exact. So make sure you sign up before then for Philo 2020 Chicago. There's no point in paying more than you have to for tickets. And if you've been before, you know, it's a great time connecting with other tech people, hanging out with your team, learning new skills, hopefully being inspired to keep doing excellent production work at your church. And if you haven't been before, all those are really good reasons to consider coming and bringing your team with you. If you have questions or want to see what it's all about, check out philo.org. There's a highlight reel or two from past years and a couple great elements, just fun things that we've done you could check out just to get a taste for what's there. Anyway, last year we had about 1,600 technical artists from around the world. And I mean, we're really hoping to help impact the lives of even more technical artists this year. If you happen to live closer to the West Coast or like visiting warm places when it's colder where you live, you could stay tuned for the exact information on where and when Philo will happen in Southern California. We're planning on doing it. We're just still trying to nail down more of the exact details. All right. Today's guest on the podcast is Scott Ragsdale. He's an audio engineer. We go way back as coworkers and friends, and it was fun to sit down with him for a few minutes. On an interesting note, we recorded this at the end of 2018, so this is almost a full year ago that we had our conversation. And things have changed a little bit in Scott's life, so he's currently off the road, and some of what we talk about isn't his current reality, but the context of our conversation is really more than applicable to what we do as technical artists in the local church. So we're we're rolling with this conversation because it's good stuff. We talk about our times at Willow Creek. We talk about being on the road. We talk about loving music. We talk about 80s hair band hair, all the good stuff. So let's just jump right in. I'm with my good friend, Scott Ragsdale. Say hello, Scott. Hi, Hi, Todd. Yeah, he's just thinking, what an idiot to not hit record. Let me just double check. Yes, okay, the timer's going. We're good. I see the Uh, red light, so. Yes. Okay. It's not, well, I mean, this device, the blinking red light, that could mean record too, but it said solid red. Yeah, usually that's pause, but we just won't go there. (laughs) Okay. This is why I'm no longer an audio person, and you still are. 
Um, anyway, we uh, when it wasn't recording, we were talking a little bit of how we first met. And uh, maybe we just won't get into that. And that'll be something we can uh, surprise people with later at okay. a later date. <laughs> we used to work together uh, at Willow Creek for about 10 years. We didn't figure that much out. Yep. And uh, so I think the first time we interacted with each other, I was I became your boss all of a sudden. And right. that was a little bit of a shock to me. I'm sure it was a shock to you too. Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like I said earlier, <laughs> that, that wasn't recorded. Yeah. Um, you were quite quiet um, when you came in and just observed yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't a lot of, information about who you were or why you were there at first. Yeah. And uh, slowly became evident that you were taking over a leadership role. Sure. Yeah. And uh, those were crazy times yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I mean, so many great things. I just, yeah, I, I had no idea what I was doing. Well, Willow was growing so fast. We were needing help. We were needing leadership. I mean, it was, you know, in some ways uh, the amount of workload was needing to be dealt with, yeah, yeah, and addressed. So. Oh, now that you're, now that we're talking about it, just that we were in the middle of the new building. Yeah, I forgot about that. Sort yeah. of blocked out. Anyway, those <laughs> those were busy times. Nine conferences a year, weekend services, Christmas, Easter, and a new building. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Okay. Take a deep breath. Um, okay, so that's how we met. That's how we met. Good times. Had some great memories, some really hard times, some really good times. Yeah, all kind of all the times. Yeah. We had, we had all of them. Uh, but now they're over. Now we've moved on to a new phase. <laughs> but all of that, like we were about to talk about, has yeah. led to where we're at now. Yes, so yeah. You can't discredit it. Yeah, it's it's all part of our story yeah. and makes us who we are today. Absolutely. And, I mean, I, I think globally, I I wouldn't change anything. No. Uh, I mean, I think there's some specific things. I'm like, ah, maybe I would have done this differently or said that or whatever. But I think for the most part, yeah, it was what it was and made us who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably a podcast episode in itself, just like taking your, the circumstances and doing something with them, making them make you better. Well, I'm going to go back to something I said to you earlier is that the one thing I've learned in life is life's to be figured out no matter what you're handed. Right. And so definitely through the Willow years, we were handed a lot of different tasks, services, things were changing based on what was going to be on the stage right. during the midweek, during the weekend. And, you know, how do you mic that? Well, never seen that before. Right. You know? And <laughs> Uru, where's that even from and what does it look like <laughs> yeah. um so definitely stretching and you figured it out yeah and right that kind of was a great learning tool that has aided me into pretty much everything i've done yeah going forward. I, uh, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves but there's something about i just remember in those moments you're thinking there's got to be a smarter way to do this or hasn't somebody figured this out or you know, just why, are, why does it seem so insane? And then you sort of get out other places. You're like, well, it's, this is kind of how you figure stuff out. Right. Somebody has an idea. No one knows how to do it. You do it. And now, you know, yeah. And then, you make phone calls. Uh, right. Yeah. You, you just, <laughs> yeah. You know, people want you to succeed and they love helping. And yeah. You just, you just kind of learn those things that guess what? You really don't know it all. And right. that's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. And you can <laughs> figure it out. And you can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nice. So, okay, why don't we talk, uh, let's back up. 
or fast forward, whichever we're talking about. What do you do now? And then maybe just, then we'll get into kind of how you got to this point. Right. Um, so currently I am a live sound front of house engineer for an artist uh, by the name of Joe Bonamassa. Mm -hmm. Going on five years now. Wow. Um, I know. <laughs> Time flies. We average about 110 shows a year. Wow. And I am gone about 220 days a year. Wow. So big life change in the sense of having a routine, driving to work every day, driving back home. Right. Um, now it's tour buses, planes, trains, automobiles. Which has um, its own form of routine in a way, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, no, you know, you... you right, you, yeah. <laughs> You definitely learn to figure out road life and how to pack, you know, how does the schedule work? How does your days off work? Right. Just how to pace your life. Sure, yeah. You know, so it's sustainable. Yes. And how to stay connected too right. to the reality of your family, your friends, and how important that is. Sure, right. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah you, you fall asleep and you wake up in another town. You don't know what day it is. You don't know where you're at. You right. know, the, the whole joke about... You know, hello, Cleveland. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those things are written on the stage because- Otherwise you don't you know. You don't know. Yeah. You, you walk off a bus and walk into a building and it's like, where are we today? And what day is it? And right, right. those realities do kind of mess with you right. until you just kind of laugh. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> things are yeah. fine. Right. You know, we're still on planet earth. Has the bus driver ever just like drove around in circles and then dropped you off at the same venue? <laughs> no, no, thank God. Um, That'd be a very cruel joke. But there has been occasion where we've done a show in a venue, left the venue, and then come back to the same venue and did a show again. Okay. That is weird. Yeah. But that's just a whole scheduling thing that happened and hopefully sure, yeah. don't have too many of those. So before we get too far into the uh, what it's like to tour around the country, so how, did you just wake up one day and you're a front of house engineer for Joe Bonamassa? I would just... Love to maybe go back to how you got into this, where you started, where yeah, it led you. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, man, uh, just going back, I was into music at a really young age. To give some touch points, at age five, I asked for a drum set from my parents, and they either went to JCPenney or Sears and bought this kid's drum set that had the monkeys on the fr front of it, I oh, believe, awesome. and I just yeah. beat it to pieces. And, yeah. <laughs> And uh, I think mom and dad realized that there was more to just a general liking for music, that there was an, an attachment very deep uh -huh. and got my first Zenith record player, Ooh, you nice. know, as a, as a gift. My next door neighbor was a Zenith television guy. Okay. And so mom walked across and talked to him about what would be a good gift for me. And, right. and uh, I started uh, my record collection. Okay. And I would just- Do you remember your first record? Oh man, I want to say it was the Carpenters. Okay, yeah, I I, I think it was the Carpenters. Okay, uh, and I was obviously delving into what Mom had already collected within hers was like Captain and Tennille and Charlie Pride and and Barry Manilow and right, right. God knows what else back from that era <laughs> yeah. and uh, was just enamored with putting on a record and laying on the floor and just getting lost in it. And, mm -hmm. and just my mind was just te tearing it apart. Like, and, and I was just getting a great feeling from what was coming out of the speaker. Sure. Yeah. Like, and I just wanted to be a part of that one, wanted to always have something playing in the background. It just made sense to me. Sure. It made yeah. life 
easier and better. Okay. Got in my first band in high school. My best friend at the time was a guitar player, and uh, I had already went from the drums. I played drums in grade school and high school to saw another buddy of mine who was a very accomplished keyboard player and played in church and played, you know, all the recital music. He was the guy that you called on when you, you know, the girl sure. was going to sing at the wedding or yeah, yeah. or whatever. And and we became good friends. And I was just really digging that. Well, you can play a whole song on a on a piano. It's like it, just not making a bunch of noise, noise yeah. or racket. Right. You know, it's like I think I want to learn the piano. So it, my mom agreed when I was a freshman to let me start taking nice. a classical traditional piano lessons. Right. And I did it for four years. And but while I was in that learning proper fingering styles and scales and and how I should approach the piano. Um, my good friend who played guitar said, you know, if you want to be in a band, you're going to have to learn to play by ear because they don't make sheet music for what we're about sure, to do. Sure, yeah, right, right. Well, how do you do that? So he goes, I want to show you. So I bought a keyboard. Okay. I bought a Yamaha DX7. Boom, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> going back <Times>. now. <laughs> and he... Uh, and myself went up to his his bedroom and he put on, uh, I think the first song I learned was Abacab by Genesis. Okay. So it was play, rewind, play, rewind yeah, yeah. on the boom box and pulling the keyboard part out of the song, you know, as I, you know, muddled my way through it. But he was right. showing me like, listen, just keep listening. Like, right, right. And find it, find it on the keyboard and, 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 and then play it back. And right. that started my journey of, of, Learning how to play by ear and learning how what it what, what it meant to be in a, a cover band and sure. what my responsibilities were going to be right and that lasted for ten years. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I got to play with some incredible people and pretty much put myself through college playing in a cover band every weekend uh, in VFWs, Legion halls, clubs. It was the eighties. It was the same. Big hair. Oh yeah. my gosh, big hair. <laughs> Aquanet. Uh, yeah, the, <laughs> all the spandex, all the, the classic 80s looks. Uh, I'll just I'm picturing leave it, your driver's license. It, yeah, yeah, I can yeah, see, I will, I I can will, see this. You know, you played the part, man. Yeah. And uh, It's about entertaining the people, yeah. yeah. I, wa I, wanted to, I wanted to be David Lee Roth, Bon Jovi, you know, and the cure all wrapped into one. Nice. That's That was really a great thing of learning to play by ear and learning to really get inside of mix, right. not realizing that that was going to be the foundation. Right, right. Being able to hear something that specific exactly. in the music. Yeah, right. Because if you're going to mix music, you kind of need to know the ingredients and how they're put together. Sure, right. And that absolutely gave me the roadmap to do that. Sure. And so as it would be, the guy that was the sound engineer for my band they were called the Scooters, <laughs> Southern Illinois. Anybody out there that remembers seeing us? Um, we had a sound engineer by the name of Ryan Krause, who now is the main yeah, production, director, director, production yeah. director. He's wore many hats at Grace Church St. Louis, and he's still a very good friend of mine. And he worked for a sound company in Southern Illinois, and I would go out with him on gigs, um, just wanting to be in the same pro live sound world. Right. And one day, something broke. And Ron said, hey, man, I got to go fix this. I need you to do the sound check. You've been around this long enough. Right. And I said, okay, Ron. And so uh, I want to say it was like a Soundcraft 500 console or, again, I'm just throwing great things out there for anybody that has <laughs> yeah, kept remembers. up with yeah. equipment. 
I did the sound check, you know, okay. and he came back and he said, hey, that sounds really good. And I said, well, that's what it should sound like. Sure, yeah. I just put the music together the way I think it should be put together. And for some reason, it worked. It was okay. like, oh, you know, drums go here and vocals go there and guitar goes there. And, and again, for 10 years, I had been deconstructing music in my bedroom, playing it on stages. Right. And I just applied that skill set to mixing music and, yeah. it, and it worked and it's still working. And was there a moment where you kind of tipped out of being on stage playing and doing more of the mixing or, or yeah. was it more of a gradual kind of a man? That's so much a part of my testimony. I mean, if taking it there is, is that I realized I wasn't going to make a living playing music that sure. it, it had run its course. It was 10 years, you know, I was graduated from college finally and I needed to put on my big boy pants and, sure. and I'm going to have to figure what I'm going to do next. But in the interim, you know, I had, I had gone in these shows with Ron and had discovered that I understand what mixing's about. Yeah. And it's funny how I believe God lines things up. There was a church that I was going to in St. Louis and they had a really great youth band mm -hmm. and they needed a sound engineer. Okay. And so I just jumped in. Okay. And started mixing this band in St. Louis, Missouri. And it just gave me uh, a place to hone my craft. And it was absolutely a huge building block into me becoming better. Uh -huh. I guess kind of the funny part of the story is the senior pastor started hearing the youth band and was like, why does that band sound better than my band on the main stage? And yeah, yeah. Well, Scott Ragsdale's mixing them and... Suddenly, I'm hired to mix main service. Okay. And uh, I was there seven years. Wow. And, uh, and do you think it was uh, getting better and all that stuff? Was it, was it a lot about just repetition, doing it every week? Or were you in there when no one else was around checking, you know, experimenting with things? Or was it just a, a function of, yeah, there's tons of services and... Yeah, I think I lucked out because... I came on to the church scene after being in the secular scene, if you want to call it. I sure, was, yeah. I was, I was, you know, working for this local sound company in Southern Illinois. And we were doing sometimes glorified box pushing on stages with Don Henley to Metallica to Pearl Jam. Sure, you know? yeah. And so I'm seeing all the gear. I'm seeing how it goes together. I'm seeing this big machine and how it works at the highest level. And then I start mixing in this church when. I want to say it was 1994 when Shout to the Lord, that song dropped, which was kind of this explosion as it would be of changing modern worship. Right, right. That that song and the way it was constructed was not just a pipe organ and a piano. Right. It had full instrumentation and churches began to adapt their stages to play this song sure, and right. play then many others that had Songs followed like it, yeah. mm -hmm. from integrity music and just things that were happening in the, right. the Christian music scene, the worship scene at that time. Maranatha. Maranatha, yeah. absolutely. And so- The Maranatha Praise Band. Hey. Hey now. <laughs> 94, you know, come on. <laughs> well, then you also, you know, you had Michael W. Smith's and Amy Grant's and, and the Newsboys and yep. on and on, you know, and which- the youth group that I was a part of, we were bringing a lot of those artists in to play on our stage. Okay. So I just really, the timing was perfect. And so the main church, almost immediately after I was hired, we put in a new 
sound system. Okay. We bought an EAW sound system. Mm -hmm. We bought a Midas XL200 front of house console, uh-huh. a, Q, a DDA Q2 monitor desk. I made every cable on that stage. Oh, wow. Every XLR, I soldered myself okay. to save the church money. Uh-huh. Made all the inserts, chose outboard gear, made sure it all plugged in, worked. I mean, it was just this beautiful hands-on environment that I got to be a part of and right, to right. help create. Uh-huh. The uh, church even ended up putting a recording studio in and I okay. got to figure that one out. Okay. We got two Yamaha O2Rs, Tascam DA88s. Uh, <laughs> You're just pulling um, it all a, out. A little yeah. side note, my name's in the uh, Third Day Offering album, the very first one, okay. because Third Day used our church in that studio to be a part of that album. Oh, wow. And uh, so little little side note there. But that goes way back. Yeah, right. And so I'm hope I'm kind of circling the yeah, wagons yeah, we're getting here there. Yeah. <laughs> on, on kind of my, my upbringing of just, just kind of jumping in, yeah. just getting all of it, yeah. like hanging speakers and, and, and soldering and how it all works. And, and did you feel like, uh, did you have a lot of input from other people or was it just kind of you were figuring it out and it was the best thing going so nobody was getting in your way or what was the... Well, that's a, that's a great question because again, working in the secular environment or on the, on the pro touring scene, I was seeing, I was absolutely under people's consoles looking at the racks. Yeah, yeah. What are they using? Why are they using it? And I, what was crazy to me is that I was talking to probably some of the lead sound engineers of the day and they were answering my questions. Okay. I had this incredible favor where I would ask, you know, what are you using this, you know, compressor on or why right. did you choose this effects unit? And I was retaining all that information to then bring into my gig at the church. Sure, yeah. And so that was kind of my learning grounds. And then I just pulled from that experience and absolutely used other experts in the field to run my ideas by. Sure, yeah. But again, I had a great working knowledge of what the pros were using. And, you know, if the church wants to go there and yeah, it's going to be maybe a little more expensive, but the quality of the product or where you want to go, this is the route. Sure, yeah. And again, I had some incredible favor. And I remember this was the defining moment for me in this church I worked in. There was another guy in the church that was an older gentleman that had his own recording, mobile recording truck. And so, you know, he didn't quite have maybe the resources or budget. So he was using equipment that was decent, uh-huh. but where I saw the church wanted to go and the quality of gear that I was seeing, mm-hmm. we needed to take it up a, a level. Yeah, But he didn't like that. You okay. know? So he decided to write the senior pastor letter that my choices were exorbitant, you know, yeah, were, right. were way too above Too expensive. Board. Too expensive. Yeah, right. Extravagant. Ex- yeah. yeah. You know, like, so I sat down and I wrote a letter. I put the pastor's vision on paper and I showed the product that this guy was wanting and the product I was wanting. And trust Mm -hmm. me, there was a big cost difference. Sure. Yeah. And I showed that what I was doing was going to take the pastor's vision to its full extent and leave room for growth. Okay. And after the pastor read my letter, 
and 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 saw my heart, he went for it. Okay. And we ended up doing three integrity projects. We ended up hosting a lot of professional events using that gear. Okay. Because we were at on par with a touring environment. Sure, right. It was just again great to be able to hone my skills, get the gear. And then get the feedback. Because in church, you always get feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whether you want it or not. Yeah, right. But you need it. Yeah. And 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 from from some really caring and wonderful people that uh, helped, you know, guide my mixes and what I do today. Sure, so. yeah. And so now, so you've been there seven years and then things happen. You end up at Willow Creek. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, it ran its course and... Which I would say, I mean, the Jill and Chris Gilly were at Willow Creek, who are also no, 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 they weren't. They were, oh, they were, they were, still, they were but they're in St. Louis. Yeah, but they were in St. Louis. Louis yeah, yeah. So, so Chris and Jill were definitely, at the time, integral in uh, helping me buy gear, helping okay. me decide what gear went in my room. Okay. Some ways installing it. Okay. So, we yeah we we became really good friends mm -hmm. uh, in the early nineties. Yeah. You know, they left uh, Grace Church, St. Louis, and ended up at Willow Creek before I got there. Yeah, right. Interesting how small the world is, you know, to then come to Willow Creek, part of, partly because the Gillies knew you. And even our friend Matt Wilkerson, who we were talking about earlier today, is also part of that St. Louis-Columbia connection. Yeah, so then you started in 2001 in uh, at Willow Creek? 2001. Was it the week after September 11th or the week of? What was uh, the, it was some kind the of- The day. Oh, the day. My <laughs> start date was September 12th. Okay. Um, uh, the day after September 11th. Now, as an audio engineer, I mean, we could talk about Willow Creek too, which we've done a little bit already, but just thinking about going back to like, uh, how did you learn how to do this and getting feedback and all that stuff? What is your approach to mixing? Like, are you, I mean, in your current situation, you're trying to make sure that your boss is happy, but there also has to be some kind of a, what is motivating your mix? Is it a list of rules that you follow or just what you like to hear? Or yeah, just be curious how, how the, uh, your mixing style has evolved is it motivated by something internally or externally or some percentage breakdown of the two? Well, I have to go back to my first love is, is music and these great mixes I was hearing. And I think I'm chasing my first high every night. I'm trying to paint the picture of music or put things in a place the same way I was affected when I heard you know, Aerosmith's Dream On or yeah, right. Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven or what, whatever the song was that, it, it, you know, you are evoking an emotion yeah. in somebody through a mix. Right. It, it, it is, it's the connected point. It's, it, it, it should evoke an emotion. It should, it, it, it should affect you. And yeah. so I mix every night chasing that in discovering that the certain way things are put together, the energy of the low end or the clarity of the top end or, or how things are interwoven will get a response emotionally right, right. from you. Uh -huh. And so my only gauge, my only true north has been, how does it affect me? Okay. So I kind of mix to get sure. me that feeling. Yeah, yeah. And then hopefully look 
to my left and my right and see other people getting that same joy out of it, that same charge. Sure. And that's kind of been my gauge for as long as I can remember. Right, right. And do you find that it always lines up with how people are feeling around you or are there, uh, I guess, thinking about our time at Willow Creek or even now uh, with Joe, like are there times that people say, yeah, maybe just a little less low end and you have to adjust how you're mixing? Well, there's absolutely that. I, I've, It's art. Yeah, and yeah. art's subjective. Yep. And at times the decisions that are being made in a com- communal type <laughs> mix are based maybe not on the emotion you're trying to create, but more on a relevance of what they want front and center. Sure, yeah, Or yeah. maybe what they don't want. Right. You know, based on complete, completely different criteria. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you just kind of like submit to yep. authority uh-huh. and, and you give them what they want. And it's okay. I mean, sure. it's okay to do that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it challenges you to figure out a way to get that mix to someplace you still like it. Right, right. And also meeting the needs of the other creative people in the room. Right, right. I mean, I want to say when I was mixing audio uh, every weekend, which was, you know, a very long time ago, and very simple gear, I can remember my the person who I reported to would come back to the booth and say, Oh, there was no booth actually, just the soundboard stacked on chairs in the theater that we were renting. But he would say, I can't hear the bass and I need more background vocals. And I would dis- disagree, but give it to him. And then I noticed that a few months later, he would just turn around like he was going to come back to the booth and I would just like do those things, you know, turn up the bass and and the background vocals. And then I noticed he wasn't even turning around at some point that I had just, it had become part of how I mixed was this way that, I mean, to put it in a very simple term, uh, the person writing the check wanted the mix to sound. And yeah, I mean, I think in hindsight, he was probably right. I mean, he was right that, yeah. you, know, I, you know, the the background vocals just didn't matter to me, <laughs> you know, frankly, uh, but they're there and people are singing on stage and we need to hear them. And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was an interesting combination of like, it's not how I would mix. And then eventually like, oh, well, I'm doing it. Yeah. For some reason, I feel like I need to add this. I want to go back to when I played in that cover band. We really challenged each other to make it sound like the record. Okay. And when you're practicing with your buddies in the garage, you know, pre-inner technology, you listen to each other. Right, right. And we would play the record and we would reproduce that mix amongst ourselves Uh without the sound guy. Sure, yeah. So I quickly learned that the importance of a great mix a lot of times is the arrangement and what your band's doing. Totally, yeah, totally. It's not the gear. Sure, and so to me, that's where it's at. That's, I mean, I'm very fortunate now that the artist I work for carries a band of some of the top musicians on the planet. And yeah. it just as a joy every night to put a mic in front of the amplifiers because these guys are really listening to each other. Most of them sure. are in wedges. I'm not knocking inner technology. Um, everything has a purpose. But these cats are using dynamics and they're trying to get it right on the stage. Sure, yeah. So when I'm getting the sound sources 
they're kind of nailing it up there. Sure. I'm I'm not needing to delve into a box of tricks to try to get it right. Sure, yeah. And that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> right. But I, I, I think that was some of my greatest teaching is creativity thrives in the presence of lack. Okay. I not I like even when I started mixing and I had a tapco, rapco, <laughs> you know. Right. It it was all about trying to get the microphone to pick up the sound source and hoping the band has got their their mix down up there amongst themselves. Right, right. So and you're not I, having to manipulate the sound. Right. Yeah, beyond more, the gear. Yeah. I'm more reinforcing. Yeah. We are sound reinforcers. You know, yeah. that's an, a, another thing I really kind of want to say now is because I had a good conversation with another buddy of mine and said, sound today has become, are we sound reinforcing or are we sound creating from the front of house mix position? Right, right. And I and so part of part of that is if you're if the source isn't great, right, then you're then you know there is some manipulation requirements. Right. And think. my argument would be if the guitar player has a sound on the stage and you're running it through a bunch of plugins and a bunch of things you've seen, you're actually changing the tone and the sound of that guitar. Right, right. Is that guitar player okay with that? Sure, yeah. Because if they worked really hard, like my artist, to get his sound the way it is, right. and I am running it through three or four different plugins, I'm going to get fired. Sure. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Because that's not my job. My job is to reinforce yeah. what's happening on the stage. Yeah. And so let's say you're not getting what, uh, what you need from the stage and you're sort of, you're inclined to add plugins and all this stuff, like... Maybe your situation now is different than it felt when you were uh, at Willow or even in St. Louis. But I mean, what do you do in that situation? If you right, no, I mean, again, everything's application specific. And when you run into situations, I absolutely try to have conversations first. Yeah, I I, I try to talk about arrangement. I try to talk about, you know, your sound. What what are we going for here? Are right, right. hey man, that's so bright that I'm going to have to cut all this top in out, can we maybe fix it here? Yeah, yeah. Because you're, we're trying, I'm trying to put this together and I'm, tr I try to give an educational understanding sure. of how this is going to fit yeah. or not fit. Yeah. If that is not received, then I have to grab the black box or the tool right. to try to manipulate it, to get it to work right. the way I hear it. Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the th one of the luxuries is maybe the word uh, in your life right now is you you are working with some of the best musicians in the world, and they come up to you and say, "Hey, what can I do differently?" It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, that is just Todd. Yeah. It, oh my gosh, it's I, like I remember my first rehearsal with one of Joe's bands, and I look up. And Anton Fig, and if you don't know who he is, Google him and then you'll understand why. <laughs> I couldn't believe the man was standing on the other side of my console. And Anton goes, hey, what I did today, is that working? Is it working in the mix? Do you want me to change my snare sound? How's the toms and cymbals, you know, working? Yeah, yeah. And my jaw's on the floor. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're Anton Fig. Yeah. You and, do whatever you want. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like <laughs> your resume is unbelievable. And yeah. you... Are coming to me, right, right, and I can honestly say Reese Winans and Michael Rhodes, and I mean everybody on the stage, yeah, that Joe has toured with have have come to me. Uh -huh. 
They ask me before they change an instrument. Sure. And they won't change anything at game time. They'll actually, we'll do it during a rehearsal, during a sound check. Okay. Hey, is this working? Is this not working? Sure, yeah. And that was so new to me because in the church world or even in, in you know, other groups that I have mixed of much less caliber players, sure. mm-hmm. I've never had that much interaction. Right, right. How how they've taken? I am the sixth member of the band. Sure, yeah. I think in the in the church setting, we, we have, work with a lot of volunteers on stage. I think you know they for them they're feeling like I'm going to get it sounding great in my office, my bedroom, oh, wherever yeah. I'm practicing, and r- with really no understanding of how that fits into the rest of what's happening on stage. And uh, so my youngest son uh, plays keyboard. And he was playing at some some event at church recently, and I I was thinking the whole time, oh, I you might want to you know change your tone or play that an octave higher, you know, like I'm thinking as an audio engineer, what would help me with what you're doing up there, make it sound better. And I just I remember what you said, how, how your band would come up and say, hey, what can I do differently, whatever. And so afterwards, he asked me how was it, and I said, well, I think it would really be awesome for you to go to the audio engineer and say, hey, how, well, how was that? What, what can I do differently? Because I said, I know that you love the tone of your keyboard, but it's just not cutting through. Right. It's getting lost. And so if you maybe talk to the audio engineer and yeah, I, it's just such a great thing that I don't think anybody thinks about. I have another really great example that just popped in my head. Um, we both know and love Sean Summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to one of the best bass players I've ever worked with. Actually, in Chicago. the bass player from the Philo podcast theme song. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so Sean is one of those guys that talks to the sound engineer. Yeah, and so he always has pretty nice gear. And but there was a couple of moments um, on some services where he added maybe a parametric or he he did something on his bass to change the EQ. Right. And both times, this happened two times before we we kind of got the hint, he would make a cut or a boost and then he'd come out to front of house and he would ask to see the EQ and I was doing the exact opposite. I was absolutely <laughs> yeah. undoing- Right, whatever he was Whatever trying. he was doing. Yeah. We just, he just laughed. He, we, he really discovered in that moment he left his bass as flat as can be. Right. He didn't boost something, cut anything. Uh-huh. He let the rawness, the nakedness of his instrument come to me uh-huh. and allowed me to do what needed to do. Or I, sometimes I didn't have to do anything. Sure, yeah. But, you know, great gain structure and push it up in the mix. Because, again, those decisions that you think you're making yeah. in your world, either on stage or in your bedroom, mm-hmm. might not translate. Yeah. Sometimes the flattest, less affected, less manipulated yeah. that you can be is right. the best. Sure. Yeah, I think it's uh, even as audio engineers. So uh, on some level, if you're listening to this, you're probably a tech person in a church. You're not on stage. But so what do we have control over? You have control over having a conversation with the band leader, with the with the people in the band to say, hey, uh, what do we want this to sound like? Let me hear your sound just with nothing on so I understand what we're trying to go for. Would you be up for a suggestion? You know, just 
to have a conversation because, yeah, mixing is way more than plugins and consoles. It's about the people on stage trusting you and vice yeah. versa and working together to create something that sounds. Man, you're just triggering so many things to me. I, Because, <laughs> I, I mean, having conversations right now on multiple levels with engineers, I've really been challenging engineers to turn off all the processing uh-huh. and go back and listen to your sources naked. Yeah. What's, what is your original source sound like? Yeah. And if you need to address it, great. Yeah. But I remember conversations with Chris Gilly where, you know, if you get on the same console for a long time, we call it digging holes. We Sure, you, yeah. You would, you would EQ something and keep EQing it. And, and pretty soon you have destroyed the clarity and the sonic beauty yeah, yeah. of your sources over time based on the temperature of the room or right. how many different bass players show up on your stage yeah. and you forget. Well, even talking and, about and, digital and, console where you're saving everything. Right. And yeah, so you're you, not necessarily thinking about it from the beginning. Yeah. yeah, you get lazy. Yeah. You really get lazy. Yeah. And so you really have, and that's the beauty of virtual soundcheck too. Yeah. Get in there on your own time and listen to the sources from your weekend service or from a rehearsal. Right. And turn off all your processing. And I would challenge you to make a great mix with no processing. Right. That was my whole life. <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah. that was that was that was my start. Because yeah, right. when you don't have the money and you don't have the gear, right. well, you you've got a console. Sure, right. You have microphones and you have a band. Yeah, you can mix. You can mix. Yeah, right. It's amazing. And now, so <laughs> yeah. So uh, would you say, uh, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about kind of is overlapping the church, you know, your church experience and the, and the touring experience. I mean, is there, is there, are there other things that fall into the category of, I learned this while I was in church and I like cling to them when I'm on the road. Like there are things that, that translate from that world to. Yeah. I I don't know if I want to put it in the terms of church world, secular world. I think mixing's Uh, mixing. Sure. I really do. I just, I think 21 years in ministry and mixing the opportunities that I was allotted really pushed me in many ways. And Uh one thing I did learn going from church world to the touring world, that the touring world restarted the need (laughs) to, hey, I'm in a different room today. Things are going to be different. Right. I have to recreate a mix in a different space, same band sometimes, but everything's different. Right, right. You know, and where church world, when you are in the same room, because Will, I was in the same room for 12 years. Well, not the, well, when we got the new room. Yep. And was it 2004? Sure. Was in that room. So many years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That, I kind of lost the skill set or the push to really think about things. I mean, uh-huh. I could I could get mixes sounding fantastic with not a lot of effort because sure. I already knew the ins and outs of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the touring world will push you yeah. into everyday game face. Sure. You got to figure this out. Right. Win some, lose some. But you, I'm a guy that doesn't stop because if the mix isn't making me happy then my day's ruined. Right. And so that's definitely one thing about touring world that has really benefited me. 
Sure. Also frustrated me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, oh, you know, I just <laughs> yeah. want to get this right. And well, especially you know. some of your mixed positions are under a balcony. Oh, or my goodness. Yeah, just some awful places. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the, <laughs> the odds that you're handed. Yeah. Just are atrocious yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Which is not unlike many people working in the church. I mean, well, true. We, we had the beauty of being at Willow Creek and I mean, you just step in that room and it's, yeah, could it be better? Yeah, everything could be better, but pretty high world-class, got yeah. the stuff you need to make it sound amazing. Yeah, I mean, to go back to one of your original statements, I, you know, on the opportunities that I was given, I was always given an opportunity based on what people heard coming out of the speakers. Uh-huh. Like, I think that's that's the deal. It's, you you got to learn how to put a, mixed together. What does music sound like? How does right. it come together? And I was just fortunate playing in bars for 10 years that deconstructing music, I probably learned, golly, over that amount of time, 300 songs or more, Yeah, probably more, that when I started mixing music, I just followed the roadmap of what I had learned deconstructing sure. music and how it made me feel. Yeah. And those were my guidelines and, and my, my, my tools and my, you got to learn how to paint the picture of music. Right. Never try to advance yourself in life. That's other people's jobs. Mm. I was always asked to come up to the next thing by somebody else's recommendation or opinion of what they heard. Yeah. I never got a gig based on me waving a flag, look at me, look at me. At, Right. I just kept doing what I was doing and yeah. somebody was in the room. One of my my favorite stories, and I'm going to say this because it deals with the church world, was we had several integrity events and live recordings at the church I worked at in St. Louis and they liked what they heard and they called me to do an event in Smithton, Missouri. And uh, when I got there, the guitar player happened to be Lincoln Brewster. Okay. And this is, I want to say 1999. Okay. And it was right before Lincoln Brewster's first record came out. And he was a part of the this project. He was the guitar player hired to be um, on this event. And we were there a week and he would come out with his wireless what I was mixing uh-huh. and hear the mix and he okay. dug what he was hearing. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would go to lunch or dinner and he started talking to me. We became fast friends and uh-huh. he, he asked me toward the end of that recording, hey, I'm getting ready to go on the road with my first Christian project. I would love it if you'd mix. Okay. If you'd mix my my stuff. And we ended up doing a, a festival run. Okay, all right. And... But it was all based on what he heard right, right. coming out of the speakers. Sure, yeah. He agreed with his guitar sound and how the drums fit and how everything worked. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying. You you got to understand music. Sure. I would say too, though, maybe to add to that is that you also have a personality and can talk about music and understand what's going on musically and can talk about it and... So uh, yeah, to pat yourself on the back, oh, I'm patting you on the back, uh, That that's part of it too. It's not just uh, you can mix anything. It's that you can, yeah, you're a person who cares about it sounding great and you can talk to the musicians. And yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's another layer there that can sometimes, if all you're good at is the mix. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm very extroverted. 
Yeah. As you know, yeah. and you're very introverted. Yeah. That was challenging at times. Yeah. <laughs> when we were boss and employee, yeah. Yeah. I challenged you many times. Uh-huh. We still love each other. <laughs> um, no, de- definitely, um, I think playing in a band for 10 years aided in understanding communication amongst musicians and yeah, how yeah. we talk to flipping to mixing. Right. I absolutely have no problem talking to anybody. I yeah. got that from my dad. Sure, yeah. The gift of gab. <laughs> yep. And that has absolutely served me well. Yeah, yeah. I dropped a long time ago an embarrassment of not knowing something. Uh-huh. I will make as many phone calls and open up about a need to anybody. Yeah. And yeah. be okay. And have found that most people out there want you to succeed and they love right. helping you. Yeah, they yeah. love answering your questions and they love being a part of your journey right. and your story. Yeah. And but for sure my ability to talk to people has again served me very sure, very yeah. well. Just thinking about your transition from working at a church every week to being on the road now and the complexity that exists around working at the church you attend and just kind of the, how that kind of messes with your spiritual life or can mess with it. Is there anything that you learn, like once you were out of that, that you were like, oh man, I wish I had done this better or I wish I had, uh, or I love this about my new life that now uh, it's not so complicated. Oh man, simplistic answer is, you know, I, I, I think for myself, because I was working in the church world for so long, it kind of made you lazy uh, spiritually. Yeah, yeah. And because, I mean, you're in the building. I yeah. think we equate being in the building a lot of times with our spirituality and God loves us. Sure, right. <laughs> I mean, he does love you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> but um, we don't need to put in as much prayer time and, and, and Bible reading time. Right, right, yeah. Because... We're, we're in there, it. yeah, right. We're, standing, we're doing it. We're standing in the building. This yeah, is yeah. God's house, and and I'm tired of being here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's it's an, it's an unfortunate side effect, I think, of working in ministry and always serving people and 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 uh, putting in the time that when you get home, you don't crack the Bible open and you kind of let things slip. When I left the church world and got the mixing job for Joe Bonamassa, I found myself absolutely leaning into my prayer life and my spiritual life greater. Mm -hmm. And I guess really the only thing I can equate is that I wasn't in the building, the church anymore. And I was left to my own devices and it just let me choose what I did with my time. And also I found it, pretty important to succeed in this life yeah. uh, on the, all the variables I can't control and, and, you know, um, and what I know to be true about God and his word, uh, that I needed to, to start praying more and start reading my Bible again. Right. Right. I think it's so interesting. We, if this is the right word, we abdicate responsibility. we like give it up and expect someone else to fill us up and figure out how to, how I could be spiritually fed when you're in the church building all the time. And then when you're not there, you realize that, oh, wait, now there's really no one around right. that I can blame except for me. You, you know, know? And, and, and I don't mean, I don't mean to say this begrudgingly, but a lot of the people I work with now don't go to church, have never been to church. To my 
best, you know, assessment probably will never step foot in a church. Right, right. So I've got really, at times, nobody out there pointing me in a good direction. Sure, yeah. And I'm smart. I'm 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 pretty seasoned, and I I I know how I should behave and and the things I should be about in my life. Right. And so I've just chosen, you know, that God and His Word and the boundaries of the Bible and how I want to be as a person yeah. is important. And I've got to practice those things. Sure, right. And it's up to you. And it's up to me. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, when you work in the church, we're all kind of trying to be those examples and live the life. And, right, right. And so you, you don't often have to deal with maybe some of the things you have to deal with if you don't work in a church. Right, right. Like real life activity of various nature. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I just find myself now being very proactive in my spiritual life and, right. and my connection yeah, yeah. to Jesus and, and all of that. And it's a shame that we don't realize it uh, more than we should, you know, more than we do, but also like if you yeah, work it at the church, that it's not more apparent yeah. That is something we should be working on. Yes. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So your transition, if you know, people, uh, especially with social media and Facebook, Instagram, every everybody's life looks like picture perfect. And so, looking at your life, leaving, it is picture perfect. <laughs> All right. No, it's not. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, no, just thinking about your leaving Willow Creek, right? And then just you know, from the outside looking in, you just immediately jumped into Joe Bonamassa. You're traveling the world. Your life is, you know, seems perfect. You know, hey, I'm kind of tired of working at a church too. I'll just do what Scott Ragsdale did. <laughs> Maybe we've talked about it already. Just the idea of, you know, your mix is the thing that's advancing you and making things happen more than you're manipulating yeah, the it's, situation. Yeah, it's art. You know, yeah. I, I just do a mix based on the way I see it mm -hmm. and other people have enjoyed it and have complimented on it and have kept pushing me forward, advancing mm -hmm. my career. You know, hire that guy. I mean, if you like the way that sounded, it, it, a lot of it had to do with who was behind the desk or who yeah. was behind the desk. You know, my getting the Joe Bonamassa gig was totally based on a gentleman that heard my mix. Uh-huh. Liked what he heard, and it wasn't just one mix. This guy has, had heard me mix many times. He's a he's a president of an audio company that I had done work for many times. And when Joe was looking for somebody, his mind went right to me. Okay, and he called me and he said, "Hey, my favorite artist is uh, looking for a front of house guy. And I think he'd be perfect." Okay, and I said, um, "Okay, well, who is it?" And he said, "Joe Bonamassa." And of course, I went, "Who?" Yeah, Joe. I who didn't now? know. <laughs> Bana who now? And now, yeah, now I'm yeah, like, yeah. this man is huge. Um, yeah. But that's a whole nother story. Yeah. It's all about, you know, hopefully being able to paint the picture of music. I, I know I keep saying that, but, yeah. to, but to create a mix that emotionally touches someone, mm -hmm. that moves them, understanding where everything needs to be placed, maybe the effects that needs to be used. However, their yeah. interpretation of whatever genre of music you're mixing. Mm -hmm. If you nail that, people remember the way you made them feel. Sure. Sounds like a Maya Angelou. Right. Angelou yeah. Is this quote? an Oprah episode? Right, What's right. going it's on? Like, <laughs> not, people don't remember what you said. They remember the way you made them feel. Yeah, I think right. that was yeah. her. Yeah. Well, in a sense, yes, with music too. Yeah, yeah. They Somebody remembers like, oh my gosh, when I went to see such and such concert, uh -huh. the mix just blew my mind. Like, yeah. 
it, it emotionally moved you. Yeah, yeah. And you do that enough, people want you behind the desk. Right. And I really think it applies to, I mean, whether you're an audio engineer or a lighting designer or a video person. I mean, the, I mean, you name yeah. the thing. If you're, re, if you're good at it, if you're following uh, your heart, which now I'm sounding like a Disney movie, you, you know, if you're, if you're investing in the things you're good at and you're doing them and you, yeah, people will notice that. People are following your story and how you left somebody feeling, they remember that. And I, yeah. I, I think we buy things or we're attracted to things based on the way they make us feel. Right, right. It's, we're just humans. And so that's kind of how that whole thing wraps up. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Yeah, maybe another time we'll do it again. Absolutely. Maybe we'll next time we'll do it and you'll be like somewhere exotic and we'll Skype in and just so we can say we talked to Scott when he was in Moscow or yeah, something like that. That could happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Oh, I love sitting down with Scott. There's some good stuff there. Uh, I love the part of his story where he was talking about, you know, just walking up to people and asking them how and why they were using certain pieces of gear, and then incorporating that those ideas into what he did when he was at church. You know, there's probably something here also about just getting outside of your normal setting to learn what other people are doing and then applying it to your situation. That's one of the things that's great about the Philo Conference. Also, places like MXU where you get to learn from other people and then take that stuff back to where you where you are every day. Um, I also loved our conversation at the end, just kind of that idea of being spiritually fed while working at church. I mean, there's a lot of work that probably all of us can do in that area. Okay, don't forget to go to philo.org. You can check out what we've got going on, Philo 2020, Chicago, all the resources for past events updates on everything else that we've cooked up for 2020, all can be found on our website. And just a reminder again, the price goes up for Philo 2020 Chicago on February 18th. So yeah, get the tickets cheap before then. You know, we try to choose all of our main session speakers based on whether they can help us think differently about how we do production in the local church. And really so much of what we do has less to do with gear and how to use it. And really it's more about how to be the best versions of ourselves along the way. That's the goal for our main sessions. And in line with that idea, we've invited Pastor Harvey Carey, who some of you might remember his amazing talk from the Gurus of Tech Days way back. That's going to be amazing. And another person I'm super excited to have with us is Liz Bohannon. She's the author of the book entitled Beginner's Pluck. And I heard her speak at the Global Leadership Summit this past year, and I can't wait for you to hear from her. Uh, we've got a few more things cooking that we'll announce soon, so stay tuned. If you like our podcast, subscribe on whatever platform you use for listening. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all of them. Give us a review on iTunes, help us spread the word. And you can find us on social media, at Follow Community on Facebook and Instagram, and at Follow Conference on Twitter. You can also send us your feedback and ideas for future podcasts by emailing us at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, talk to you soon. <laughs>